0: Hey, Collaburst. I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buchholz. And you're listening to CollabraCast. How's it going, birthday boy? A little older. A little older. But wiser.
1: Debatable, but sure, we'll go with that. There's got to be a bright side somewhere.
0: Where are you? You're not in your usual environs. Well, hold on. Let's not skip over the lead story. Do you have any big birthday plans?
1: Uh, You know, picking
0: up the kids from school. Trying to make it to Denny's in time for the early bird special. Uh, maybe some bingo later on. Could be, get, could be. Get a Matlock marathon blue, going or something. Blue plate special. Yeah. yeah it something sounds like that. <laughs> I am in beautiful Salida, Colorado for the Salida Writers Retreat. And it is beautiful. I'm looking at S Mountain out my window right now and this is a wonderful environment for people who want to go somewhere that has a small town vibe with a lot of creative people roaming about i think in my experience there are more artist galleries in a 3 block radius than i than i know any other place that i've been and it's really fun to be able to just see all the vibrancy and the creative and I want to give a thank you to my good friend Anita Mum for co-hosting this event. And I am glad to make this a regular part of my own personal writing journey and also being able to hang out with other writers who are along the way at different parts of their own journey.
1: And hang out with my aunt and
0: uncle too. Yes. And yes, what a what a great thing that was. Jason's aunt. Hi, Sean has a podcast called where the veil grows thin where she talks about her work in a hospice setting and all of the revelations that she's had and the stories of the people that she's met and dealt with and it's such important work especially in this day and age and maybe that's because i feel like it becomes more relevant the older i get but yeah, we had a lovely conversation with Jason's aunt and uncle yesterday, and it's just, it's beautiful what happens when you put the right people together in a room to have conversation. So thank really you, Jason, for that introduction.
1: Really glad they made it out to to come visit you.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I want to jump into, I'm, I'm kind of like really excited about this. What are you reading these days?
1: Still Arctic dreams and still the sentence by, I don't know, is it Erdrich, Er, Erdrich, Erdrich, Luis? Yeah, I don't, I don't, never quite known how to pronounce, how to hit that first
0: E, but um,
1: yeah, both, enjoying both.
0: A certain shared friend of ours who might've been with you for the MFA program. She was surprised that you had not read any Louise Erdrich before.
1: I'm, I'm surprised myself, but she's a I fan won't be the last time.
0: Go ahead. Ask me say, Hey, Ben, what are you reading?
1: Ben, what are you reading?
0: I'm reading wellness by Nathan Hill. Nathan Hill wrote a book called The Knicks, which was my favorite book that has been published that I didn't have something to do with in the last 20 years. I loved The Knicks so much. It was such a great book. It was like someone wrote a book for me. And then Nathan Hill was like, oh, well, if I wrote one book for you, I might as well write another. And his book, Wellness, came out last week, and I was cruising across the country from Madison to Salida and it was the audiobook that kept me company and I am again totally smitten and in love with an author's work in such a it's so good it's an Oprah selection there's part of me that was like I really wish that we could get Nathan Hill on the podcast to talk about being cool or something like that and I know people who know him and have connections. But then when I saw it was an Oprah selection, I was like, well, you know, we did make an agreement with Oprah that we wouldn't kind of cross streams and be competitive in her area. And she wouldn't be competitive in our area. So I think I'm going to probably have to leave that invitation unsent. But Nathan Hill, if you're watching, you're a hell of a writer, dude. And I and I love reading your work.
1: All right. And I'll have to check that
0: out. Now. I want more endorsements. I just gave some good praise, but Jason, have you ever had an experience where somebody didn't praise your work right away and offered some criticism of some sort? I have indeed. Uh, I've been on, on both sides of
1: that. Uh, it's an interesting topic that comes up today and that I am in the process of drafting a lengthy feedback letter for one of our clients this week. And, um, When, as an editor, as you're going into that, you're never really sure how it's going to be received. I I have never been doing this for years and years, and I've never failed to send one of those letters off without a little bit of a feeling of trepidation. It's a little bit like (laughs) tossing a a grenade. Um, I try to be very gentle. I try to frame it as constructive criticism, and I think it's really important to to talk about everything that the writer is doing well so that they they know that there are strengths and then you kind of sandwich in there so here's some here's 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 what a few things we might want to consider to get to our full potential here but yes being a product of an mfa program i had a you know that was really my first community of writers and so my first workshop all of a sudden was you know there were maybe 10 of us in there and so you'd bring in something that you'd written and share it around and a week later you'd have you know everybody i think we would have uh two a week two two different writers a week would go so each week we would go home with excerpts from two different manuscripts read through them mark them
0: up bring them back the next week go through them you had never been a part of a writer's group at all or like had any kind of informal relationship with multiple writers and sending stuff out? I had worked as a journalist prior
1: to that. So I had, I was a tech journalist for a few years, 98 to 2000. Um, there was a, it was kind of the emergence of mobile computing in Silicon Valley, I was here in the Bay Area, as I am now uh, working in tech journalism. And so I had professional editors, but you know that was that didn't really prepare me for the soul-bearing experience of bringing your fiction to a group of people that you had just met the previous week and um you know bearing
0: your your throat for them all do you remember your first experience of getting feedback and what that felt like
1: I don't remember the the very first round, but our mutual friend who you previously mentioned, and let's just go ahead and name Miss Robin Russell. Robin she was Russell. Uh, somebody who, well, I, what I quickly learned was that there were, there was a lot of things to filter out when you're having, when you're writing one piece and you're getting 10 different rounds of feedback on that same installment of 10 pages you're going to get contradictory things you're going to have people who don't understand what you're trying to do people who are are projecting their own aesthetics their own writing onto it and you you i think the tendency at first the tendency for me at first and for a long time and the the Tendency that I assume most kind of novice writers come to, if, if it's if if you're a, a burgeoning writer and you are kind of coming into contact with professional editing for the first time, getting that feedback, I think the tendency is to take everything and give it all equal weight and say, okay, there are you know there are fifty different pieces of feedback. So I need to spend the same amount of time on each one. And what I learned, what I'm still learning, what I still, it's, it's a process every time, but learning how to filter through that, learning how to discard things, learning how to quickly pick up on bits of feedback where the critic clearly didn't really understand what you were trying to do. And that that's informative too. You say, okay, well, this completely missed the mark with this person. So what, you know, maybe their feedback is based on something that you weren't even trying to do, but that also means that whatever it was you were trying to do didn't come across. So there's there can be kind of some reading between the lines in that way. But what I quickly learned was that there were two or three people in that class who really understood exactly what I was trying to do, and had a, a level of sensitivity and insight that made me really look forward to their feedback every week. Robin was at at the top of that list, so every every week or each time it was my time to turn to be workshopped, I would go in and I would really look forward to her comments because she just understood exactly what it was I was trying to do, and had really
0: incredible feedback on uh, you know how I could do it better. She Yeah, she's an incredible reader that way. The the thing that I'm interested in or what I think might be an opportunity for us to let people know that they're not alone is that it's an emotional experience when you first get things because no matter how much somebody tells you I'm talking about the work. I'm not talking about you as a human being. It's really hard to mute that sometimes and to quiet that. It feels like if someone doesn't get what we're doing or totally plausible scenario, they don't like what we're doing. They get it. They just don't like it. That has the weight of one million compliments. You will only hear the negative thing Even if a jury of your peers, everyone else says, this is great, this is great, I disagree with this person who has negative feedback, you will still only hear that negative feedback if you are anything like my brain and and the experiences that I've heard from others. My college version of what you went through was as an undergrad, and there were a lot of aspiring aspirants and the quality of what they were writing and what they were saying and the feedback that they were providing was wildly all over the place. When I think now about what sort of feedback 20-year-old Ben could offer, it would have been based on the the only valid criticism that I would have been able to really offer would have been almost exclusively on writing style and how engaging that was for me. I don't know that 20-year-old Ben would have known how to like really understand the human heart of a story and how to make sure that author's intentions have been fully realized in a way that does justice and honors what the author's initial intention was. And then after I did that, the local Barnes and Noble is back when I was running Bleak House, the local Barnes and Noble asked me to lead their community writers group. And that was even more wildly all over the place as far as who was showing up, what sort of feedback they had. There would be, some people who were more erratic than others, and you would know to maybe temper your feedback a little bit with them because the volatility that might happen because they couldn't accept things. Uh, And you would also know that if they had significant issues with what you were doing, you might say, this isn't my intended audience, and therefore I can let go of some of this feedback. But... It's really, really, really important to just be able to disassociate yourself from the work as best you can so that you don't see things as a personal attack. You don't see as a personal failing. A good uh, a good friend of mine, the author Reed Farrell Coleman, used to say, You can say whatever you want about my my books, but you better not say it about my kids. And it kind of checks in there to the book he could be objective about. There are some things in life that we can't be objective about. Our writing to the best of our ability, we should be.
1: I think it can be particularly so we, we're talking about kind of group workshops where you're sharing excerpts, maybe 10, 12 pages. And it can be it can it, it can be a little easier to dismiss you know it's it like you mentioned the intended audience it's it's important as a writer to kind of figure out who who that is and if you are in a in a situation like a workshop and you're getting feedback uh, kind of figuring out early on who whose opinion and it isn't so much that one person's opinion is more valid than another's it's just that this is this person is my intended reader this person is I, i'm writing for some for somebody like this, someone with these aesthetics, somebody with who's looking for these sorts of things. And this other person is looking for a little something else. And that's not really my intended audience. So it can be easier to dismiss. When you are the customer of of a full developmental edit, like you and I do a lot of, you are taking your entire manuscript and handing it over to somebody and paying them a good chunk of change to go through it and analyze it and spend four, five, six weeks, just going through it bit by bit. And when you get that letter back, so the, you know, the letters that we write are upwards of eight, nine pages, single spaced. Like they're very comprehensive. And that can be really overwhelming. You've maybe worked on something for several years eight nine ten years in some cases and you hand it over to somebody and in the span of 15 20 minutes as you're reading this letter they're calling into question like every artistic yeah. decision that you've made in the last decade um you know i think it can it can feel a little bit like like getting run over by a truck so i try to open all of those letters if, if it's somebody who i i believe is likely to that this is their kind of their first go around with professional developmental editing somebody who's an established author like you know some of the authors that we've worked with you don't have to frame it quite so gently you can just say here's here's what you're looking for here's here's what you got to fix here's where the problems are with someone who is not really used to that i always start out with a whole kind of user's manual of the developmental feedback letter it's like don't don't try to don't, don't freak out <laughs> this is going to be overwhelming take all the information in let it let it settle in read it a second time put it away give it a couple days come back to it it takes it's that same filtering process where you you know there might be 20 different things that i address in a novel and maybe 3 of those are going to resonate really strongly with the author maybe a dozen of them are going to kind of be like oh, that's kind of interesting i didn't think of that maybe i'll think of that later and then a few of them are going to be just like no that's not what i was not what i was going for at all but that process takes time and you have to be able to cuz i think you ha- it's it's very natural it's very human to to have a defensive sure a defensive reaction to it. Um, you know, I think we're all we were all brought up in in it, our reference for these things is our our education. You know, our schooling, and it's like getting back up. It's like you just you just want to see that A on that paper, and you want to go off and do the next thing. So when something comes back and it's not a gold star, it's not a gold star. It's ten pages of like, hey, you could have done better here and there, and this doesn't quite work, and you kind of missed the mark here that can be, that can, it's a legit freak out moment. Yeah. (laughs) And you have to, you have to give it time to kind of let the, your nervous system get back to, get back to homeostasis and let your, give your mind some time to filter things out. And you might
0: have the impulse that, You steer into self-doubt and say, oh, my whole book is terrible. I need to change it along the suggestions that this person made. And in the moment, you might have – you could possibly have two very different reactions. You could think, I don't know anything. I'm abandoning what my vision was, and I'm going to try to cobble together based on this feedback that wave will probably pass at some point when you remember and you look at your book and say actually this was good i like this or the other responses that you're just going to dig your heels in and say nope this was perfect the way i had it you don't understand it that response will also perhaps pass and soften with time that you'll come to say okay but there's that visceral reaction there's that visceral gut punch feeling that sucks. There's no sugar coating. It sucks when you think about all of the time you've spent and then you think this didn't just change somebody's life when they read it. They didn't just tell me how brilliant and a genius I was. So as a as a sort of recap of an important thing, is like keep in mind who's giving you the feedback. Keep in mind that you're going to get differing feedback that differs in, in significant ways. It's your job to kind of look at both and see what resonates. Whatever initial feeling you have in the moment where your nervous system freaks out, it will pass. And whatever big realization you think you have in the moment when you take in the information initially, it's probably going to process and synthesize and develop into something else over time. And keep in mind that even if it's a
1: professional editor and you've paid a lot of money for the feedback, it's still just one person's opinion. It's, it's absolutely art. It's it's art. It is entirely subjective. You can find two different editors and who charge similar rates, who have similar levels of experience and expertise. And you could get, you know, I think there would be a lot of overlap. If, if, if you do have, I would expect that if you do have, say, plot holes or issues with pace that they're both going to call those out. But there are going to be a lot of things that they don't see eye to eye on kind of, you know, I think there's going to be a lot in the middle part of that Venn diagram, but but different editors are going to come back with with different kinds of feedback. And you are. You're the boss, you're you're the the boss of your your story, you are the author, you're the one calling the shots, you are the one with the vision. So you have to take it all with a grain of salt. And I just r- realized as you were talking a minute ago that that there's probably a case to be made, and maybe this can be a future episode of the the stages of grief when you, as as you were describing, <laughs> getting that letter, you got the anger. What what are you talking about? You got the bargaining. It's like, well, what if I just did this? What if I just made this? <laughs> what if this character can just fly? This
0: birthday boy, he's a genius, you guys. <laughs> We need to put this pamphlet together and sell it. Yeah, I, th- you're right, yeah. Jay. You're totally right. That is definitely something that happens. I find that
1: you know you start to get to the the acceptance phase where it's like oh, he's right, but this is going to be so much work. Maybe that's the just the depression phase. <laughs> it's just the despair phase. But I, I, I find that if I always try to impart some inspiration, because I know that an author is going to go through those stages. I know our clients are going to go through all of those things and I want them to be able to emerge from that that emotional chaos with not only direction but with some hope and some real motivation and some inspiration. I'm like okay, I I know what I need to do. I know what I'm good at. This might be a lot of work, but I can see my way to the end of this and I can tell that it's going to be it's going to be good if I, you know, in five years or however long it's going to take me to go ahead and implement these changes. And I found that's been the case with me when I've been on the receiving end of it, of, you know, the, the best advice, even though it's been, you know, I've been, I've been on the, I've, I've had a couple of rounds of feedback where it's been like, oh, okay, well that's two years of work that you just imparted in the last 20 minutes. And that's, not fun at first. <laughs> it's really daunting and 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 kind of sucks the air out of your sales, but, but it's survivable. It's survivable. And then once you give yourself time to let it sink in and then you start to I think you kind of take it in and make it your own. At least that's been the case with me. yeah i said i'm 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 not doing this because some this guy thinks I should, and he's you know, an editor at a publisher where I want to be. I'm doing this because he inspired some ideas His, you know, his perspective inspired some ideas. I can see now that, that there is more potential in this manuscript and I want to unlock that potential. So I'm going to, you know, and then you can start putting the pieces back together and making your plans for your revision at that point. But it takes, it takes a while.
0: Absolutely. I have no notes to add. Do you have anything else?
1: I think that about covers it.
0: All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of Collaborcast, please feel free to subscribe, hit the like button, ring the bells, do all those things because I guess that's important. Uh, I want to thank Caitlin Farrell, the producer, the person who's making us look so good. I want to, again, wish Jason Buckholz a happy birthday. This guy, he's the gift to this world. So thank you, Jason, for being in this world and being who you are.
1: Thank you, sir. Happy to spend a chunk of it with you here today. All right. And you enjoy the rest of your time
0: out there in Salida. I will. For story. For community.